you may ask. How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, I ordered a new book. It's sort of not exactly what I expected. Uh, but it's about 40 days to preparation, be careful, the importance of, uh, of uh, slander. And there's a lot of stories in the book. So I was actually expecting that, you know, every day would come with a story. Instead, what they did is there's like very short lessons for 40 days. And then the back of the book is full of stories. So I, that's not how I would have set up the book because the whole idea was you read a story or two and let it sink in, and then the next day you read a story or two. But they didn't set it up that way. But I still read the stories. And I saw some great stories. And um, maybe over the next few weeks, as I'll, I'm sure I'll polish up the book in the next few weeks, um, I'll try to share some of those great stories. So here was one a really beautiful story. Um, it's hard to imagine any of you have ever experienced such a story, but if we open up our minds, or as the book wants, I should open up my heart to the story, um, hopefully it will have a, a beautiful effect on us. So I believe his name was Rabbi Brandt. He was the chazan. He was the, the chazan, we all know what chazan is, um, for a very big synagogue. Um, this synagogue had 2,000 people on the high holidays. Perhaps some of you have been part of such a congregation, perhaps not. That's a pretty big crowd, that much I can tell you. And I can tell you he didn't have a microphone. So he must have had some amazing voice and he was obviously some very famous chazen if he was the one leading the prayers for the high holidays in such a large synagogue. Anyways, so you're probably familiar. Again, if you're not familiar, it's worth checking it out. But on the high holidays, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, during the repetition of the Shmon Esrei in the morning and in the afternoon by the Musaf and by Ni'ilah, um, there are certain places in the prayers where a person is given an honor, someplace it's a family, um, where I pray to as an individual, where the person is given an honor to go up and open the Aaron, and open the Torah Ark. And the person will stand there, or again, the family, will stand there till the, this piece of poetry is completed. When the piece of poetry is completed, he will then close the ark and the prayers will continue. Now, it happens to be I also, I don't call myself a chazan, but I do lead the prayers on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I'm in a fairly small synagogue. So what happens is when it's time for that piece of poetry to be recited, I give a turn one way or the other, see who's supposed to go up, and I give him a wave with my hand, or I tap him on the shoulder, and I point, and he knows to go up and open, and he'll then step back, and he'll stand next to me, and then again I will wave him up when it's time to close 
the ark if the person's not sure exactly when to go and when not to go. Again, part of my job is leading the prayers is I'm supposed to know what happens. I'm not supposed to be guessing. People don't like when the person leading the prayers himself is not clear. And uh, that's how we roll. So, but by me, it's very easy because if I tell you the ark and where I'm praying from are all of three or four feet away from each other, so it's, uh, it's pretty easy to, to be in control. But in the larger synagogues, of course, you have wherever the chazan is praying, and a lot of times the ark is on a big platform. So you're nowhere near each other. So in this story, the man who was called up, who was given the honor of opening the ark, it was a very long piece of poetry. So he goes up, and he has his, his machzer, his prayer book in his hand, and he opens the ark. And, you know, for some people, you know, it's just you don't have enough hands. Right, because he's using one hand to open the ark, and he's trying to hold his machzer and and his, his prayer shawl, his talus is falling off. He's trying to fix it, and the page is turned. So he didn't realize that there was another two pages of this piot of this piece of poetry. That there was a back and forth between the chazan and the congregation, and the person standing by the ark, according to where he was up to, right, I guess he wasn't exactly hearing the words, he was following along, but he, but he wasn't really following along, and uh, he closed the ark early. There's 2,000 people there. Now, normally, somebody, the gabai, the, the person praying, the rabbi is going to say, no, 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 reopen it, we're not finished yet, yeah, not yet, you know, and you're in front of a lot of people. It's very, very embarrassing. But this is the poetry. This is what we say. There's thousands of people that 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 are are relishing the emotional beauty of this poetry. So this chazan understood right away what happened. He understood the person lost the place and his page turned. And the chazan immediately went to the very end as if he had finished this piece of poetry. So this piece of poetry um, was cut out of the prayer services. So I ask you, what would God rather? Two, well, almost 2,000 people saying over this beautiful, emotional piece of poetry and screaming and singing and, 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 and being uplifted on one side of the scale, or skipping this piece of poetry, and one person who was not paying attention shouldn't get embarrassed. So I hope, um, with that rhetorical question, that you know what the answer is. The only f- interesting thing is, most people in the situation would get it wrong. Fact of the matter is, most of us would get it wrong. I believe, as the person telling me over the story believes, and as the person did in this story, better God would prefer. God would rather don't embarrass somebody. Obviously, there are certain parts of prayers that uh, there's nothing you can do. A person makes a mistake, must be corrected. We're stuck. We can't, uh, we can't fix everything. There are rules and regulations. But on those parts that it's not a must that was added to the prayers, very beautiful in the prayers, very emotional, people enjoy it, people love it. But if it's at the cost of embarrassing a friend, a fellow Jew, 
God would God would rather hear the prayer of not embarrassing somebody and not hear that beautiful emotional piece of poetry. So I think it's a beautiful lesson. And um, we'll see what other stories they have for that amazing book. But as we always like to say to all my dedicated listeners, I know you love the show and I need your help to keep it going. To keep the show spread, I need you to go to my homepage, hit that donate button, leave a name, I'll give you a shout out, a memory of, happy birthday, whatever you'd like, just please go to the homepage as some people have been doing already and I thank you in advance and I thank you for those who have already hit that donate button and I'm waiting on Alan to give me uh, the paperwork to see um, who we have to thank and when. And in advance, of course, I thank you. So as we said in the last show, Parashki Seitzay, this Torah portion has lots and lots of laws. All kinds of laws. And they're all beautiful. And we can't talk about all of them. So we're going to try to focus on a couple and we'll see where life takes us. So one of them is that a person has to be careful in his house not to have different sets of weights and measures. In other words, uh, you know, you go into stores a lot of times or by gas stations, right? You'll see they'll have these, like, decals with, uh, with stickers on them, with hole punches in them to say that somebody for the government came to make sure that when you say you're getting a gallon of gas, a gallon of gas comes out of that uh, machine, and when you go to the butcher uh, and he's giving you a pound of cold cuts, you want to know there's really a pound in there, right? So there's, there's uh, government organizations that weigh, that make sure the scales are honest. We want honest scales. So the Torah says in the command, you've got to have honest measures. No two measuring cups, um, you know, one for this customer, one for that customer. I'm not saying you can't give extra. You can always give extra. Right, but but look how easy it is for a um, for a storekeeper. Just not a lot, right? In other words, instead of giving you a pound of meat, I'm giving you 0.98 of a pound. It's really very little, right? But at the end of the day, over time, I'm gonna make a few extra bucks. So the Torah wants us to be very very careful. You have to make sure in your house that all the measurements are honest, right? Because you're not fooling anybody, right? Who? Uh, yes, I'm stealing, but you know, and God knows you know, and you should know that God knows. Okay, your customer doesn't know. So you stole from your customer, but God knows. So this is one of those interesting commands. Um, there are stories um, you know, it's a problem, right? If the storekeeper decides he wants to repent, how exactly do you plan on paying everybody back? You have no idea. You are clueless. You do not know who and how much you stole from them. It's almost impossible to pay them back. So there are ways, yes, you make something public so everyone can benefit. You build a park bench and people come and sit on it and hopefully the people you stole from will sit on the bench and make a water fountain somewhere. So hopefully the person you stole from will drink from the water fountain. There are ways to fix those problems, but you don't want to be the person that's trying to repent. It's, it's not like you stole from one guy that you just return it. This is really a problem. 
interesting, the Kutzke Rebbe says like this. He says, not only is this, of course, a beautiful command, but this is a lesson for all of us. In other words, the lesson is don't fool yourself. Be honest with yourself. This is something that happens like every day, all the time. You see your friend or enemy, you see somebody in the office, and they're doing something that you feel is just not appropriate. And therefore, they are horrible, rotten people, even though you did the same thing. Now, when you did it, there was a reason you, the, 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 the boss made you work overtime, so you had a right to do it. But this guy, this guy has no right to do that. He's a thief, right? We could come up with hundreds of examples with our own children, with somebody else's children, with our own spouse, with somebody else's spouse, that when we do it, right, it's fine. We have a good excuse. We have a good reason. It makes sense. And therefore, it's kosher. But when the other person does it, all of a sudden, I don't have all the good reasons uh, why it's kosher. That guy had no good reason. I don't want to hear his excuse. I'm not interested in his excuses. He's wrong. So when the other guy does it, it's wrong. But when I do it, it's kosher. That, the cut grabber says, don't have different measuring cups. You want to use a measuring cup? If it's no good for him, it's no good for you. If it's okay for you, it's okay for him. I, you, 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 you know your reason, and you don't know his reason. That's fine. But the measuring cup for everyone is the same. If it's good for me, what do they say? If it's good for the goose, good for the gander, even though it's really they use that in the opposite, right? Right? If it's good for me, if the measuring cup says this is kosher for me, it's got to be kosher for him. And if the measuring cup says it's not kosher for him, then it's not kosher for you either, right? That's the frame. That's how we have to think when we're dealing with other people, okay? That's what the Kutzka says, really very beautiful important concepts for life. And by the way, if you walk around with that uh, concept that if it's okay for... Again, I don't want you to say, well, if he could do it, I could do it, right? That's, that's not the measuring cup I'm looking for you to use. That's a different problem, right? But if you look at somebody and say there's something wrong with what the person is doing, then you better look inside and say, but I do the same thing. So either... First things first, don't, don't worry about the other guy, right? If you got a problem, worry about yourself, Right? That's, that is how we need to look at things. Everyone with, I'm not saying there's not exceptions to the rule. Of course, there's people in different situations, and people need to be treated with kindness. And you don't deserve the kindness for yourself because you don't need it. Right? I'm not talking about it in that direction. Obviously, really, the best way to do it is be strict with yourself and be kind for other people. Right? I'm trying to make sure we're not strict for other people and kind to ourselves, right? You want to judge yourself favorably, you judge everybody favorably. But best, of course, would be to judge everybody favorably, but be strict with yourself. That makes you an amazing person. Okay. Um, there's a, we're going to talk about it, but I want to give you a story first. There's a, an, a another interesting command in this Torah portion about other nations when they would join the Jewish people. As we, we accept converts, we do not, we talked about this before, we do not force 
converts, but we accept converts, and once we accept them, they're full-fledged. Full-fledged Jewish, complete. Which, interesting, Bibi Netanyahu's father wrote a book about the Jews in Spain, and it was fascinating that they were forced to convert, but they were not equal. As all that stuff, Inquisition and throwing the Jews out and all those things were, were, was the church's way in Spain of uh, after we converted you. Now, there were those that fought that. They said, come on, we converted them. They, they have to be like us. But they did not allow them to be equal, right, because they took away their jobs. So you weren't pure blood. So they, they forced the Jews to convert to Catholicism and then didn't treat them as equals. But the Torah over and over talks about that you, if somebody converts, he's equal, complete. However, there are certain nations that have certain rules and regulations. For example, the nations of Ammon and Moab, we'll talk about them. The nations of Ammon and Moab who come from Lot, from Abraham's nephew, those nations, Ammon and Moab, if they want to convert, they can convert but they can't marry somebody who's Jewish, somebody who was born Jewish. They can marry another convert. And we've also talked about in the past, that's the men. The men of Ammon and Moab cannot um, convert. I'm sorry, they can convert, but they, even when they convert, they cannot marry somebody who was born Jewish, but the women of Ammon and Moab, they could. What did they do wrong? So Ammon, it says what they did wrong was they didn't bring supplies. When we were traveling through the desert, they didn't supply us with bread and water. And Moab is the one that hired the famous Bilam to curse the Jewish people. So those are things men are supposed to go out there and uh, women stay home. So therefore the men were considered responsible. This is a character trait that uh, we do not want in the Jewish people. Therefore the men of Ammon and Moab cannot marry into, into, the, into people born Jewish, uh, while the women could. Uh, King David's uh, great-grandmother is Ruth, and she came from Moab, and King Solomon's wife is Naama. She comes from Ammon. So the greatest, right, our, 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 uh, our, our king, the, the kingly family is coming from Ammon and Moab. They're coming from converts, right? It's interesting to note while there are other nations, like the Egyptians, they want to convert, no problem. Maybe three generations, it says. Um, Esau converts, Esau, right? That's, uh, that's Esau, that's Edom. Two nations that seems trying to destroy us, and there's no problem with them marrying into the Jewish people once they convert. So it is interesting. Ammon and Moab, um, the men can't marry in, while Egyptians or Edomites could marry in. And nowadays the whole thing is a moot point because at the end of the first temple there was the great king from Assyria that moved people around, nations all over, here, there, everywhere. Nobody knows who anybody is, so all those original nations are not on their lands anymore, so we don't know who anybody is, so therefore there's no waiting. They could just marry straight in. Okay, with that background information. So there's a famous Magid. A Magid is somebody who, I mean, literally means he tells stories. But what happened was in Europe, for sure, you had a lot of towns that could not afford to have somebody come in and inspire the small population. 
and they didn't have anybody to tell them if they were doing certain things right or wrong, certainly with character traits. So you had like these traveling rabbis, and they would speak, and they would inspire, and they would tell stories, and they would teach, and then the community would collect some money for them, and then the traveling rabbi was off to the next town. Large towns could actually afford to have their own magid. From the most famous Magidim was the famous Dubna Magid. Um, he lived in the time of Vilna Gon, so we're talking about the later 1700s. He's from the most famous. Um, his parables always hit the mark. Uh, certainly around the high holidays, many of the parables told to give people a feeling for what's going on in the high holidays actually come from the Dubna Magid. Okay. So one time, the Dubna Magid just wanted to go on vacation. He wanted to get out of town, get out of Dodge, just get out of town, vacation, just go away where he could rest, he could study, he wouldn't be harassed, you know, give me a story, tell me this, what should I do? He just needed a, a little break. Okay, so he goes to a, a large town somewhere in his area. And again, not like nowadays with internet and phones and texting and, and newspapers and radio and stuff. You, you, great rabbis can't hide. They just can't hide. There's always people keeping tabs exactly where they are, not just a few. Everybody knows where everybody is and who everybody is and where they're going and picks in the newspaper and they went to this wedding and they were in this town and one person sees them and an army comes to go find them. They, there's no escape. But in those days, you could escape. So anyways, um, the Dudamagid shows up in this town, incognito, goes to the inn, and he says, All right, can I rent a room for a week? And the innkeeper says, you know, I, I would love to talk to you now. If you don't mind, you can come back later. Um, the famous Dubna Magid is going to be speaking in a few minutes, and I must go hear him speak. And the Dubna Magid says, the Dubna Magid is speaking in a few minutes? Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. There's posters all over town. Everybody's going there in a few minutes. going to be speaking, and I can't miss it. So if you don't mind, if you come back in about two hours... And I'll take care of you. You can leave your stuff here. It'll be safe. But I just can't uh, take care of your room right now. So Dudu Magid says to himself, either I'm not very good at being incognito or somebody else is speaking and pretending to be me. So Dudu Magid um, goes, follows the crowd to hear himself speak. He sits down and a man gets up at the front of the sanctuary, long white beard, and the prayer shawl, and he looks, and he looks so holy, and he starts speaking, and the dude is listening, yeah, yeah, you know what he's saying so far is pretty good, you know, talking about the Torah portion, talking about some law, but then he started getting into stories and parables, and the dude Magid said, he ain't me, and I don't know what he's talking about, and the drivel coming out of him has to be stopped, so finally the dude Magid stands up and says, he's a faker, He's an imposter. He is not the Dubna Magid. Oh, the crowd. Now you understand, this was entertainment in those days. The crowd says, what do you mean? He says the Dubna Magid. No, he's not the Dubna Magid. I'm the Dubna Magid. What? And back and forth. And all of a sudden, there's a ruckus and people are going. And uh, you say you're the Dubna Magid? Prove you're the Dubna Magid. So it's okay. We'll have a contest. And uh, he could speak first. He could tell a parable. And I'll speak after him. And let's see who's the real Dubna Magid. The imposter tried to come up with a good story. It did not go well. 
So the Dubna Magid gets up and he says, goes through the verses that I that I, I led you off with, right? The Ammoni, we, we don't let the Ammoni and Moavi marry into the Jewish people. And it says in the verse, because they didn't bring us bread and water. The problem is bread and water is one thing, but the fact of the matter is they hired Bilam who wanted to, the idea was to curse us and kill us. So it seems the verse the reason of the Torah seems to be going over the lesser reason and skipping the more powerful reason. You don't want to let them marry into the Jewish people because they tried to kill us. I get that. Because they didn't give us some bread and water. Like, what gives? So he says like this, the Dudnagid said, anyone who is so lacking in kindness, who sees a nation traveling through the desert and doesn't come to bring them supplies of bread and water, the end will be such a person will come to murder. That's what's going to be at the end of the day. So too, the Dudamagid says, somebody who is so haughty, he craves honor, and he's willing to take away the livelihood of others, right? meaning that this guy pretends to be me so he can get paid and I won't get paid. Such a person you got to chase out of town. And I would love to dwell on this point longer, but the music is playing, and I hope, as always, you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to one of our, uh, all our wonderful sponsored listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.